When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you been thinking about maybe having your own podcast? Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First and foremost, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor, they'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple and many more. With Anchor, you can start to make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership as well. It's truly everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all of the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to stay tuned after today's interview for Holla Back. That's my Q&A where I'm answering questions from my listeners, so be sure to stay tuned. Hey, I'm back with another episode of In My Heart, and I'm so excited to bring back Adam Glassman. That's right. He's been on In My Heart before, and he's back again. This time, we are going to be featuring some super behind-the-scenes stories about Oprah's favorite things and this year's favorite things list, which is focusing on BIPOC-run businesses, including mom and pop shops. It truly is the spirit of the list. And Adam has been the filter for the list since the inception of O Magazine. That's right. He's been actually the creative director of O Magazine, the Oprah Magazine, since 2000. In his role, Adam oversees the visuals for O's fashion, beauty, and home editorial pages. And he also, of course, oversees the covers, which we're going to hear a little bit of behind the scenes on about too. I can't wait to share with you the list and share with you my friend, Adam. Adam Glassman, welcome. I'm so happy to be back. I mean, I'm, well, I, I love you. I love your podcast. People are listening to your podcast and I, I'm going to give a little story about it later on too, but I'm thrilled to be here. Truly, bravo to you. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for being such a great friend and such a great advocate of the podcast. And now you're going to be just a great resource for us about, hey, listen, we know that the holidays are up and it's a different kind of year, but Oprah's favorite things has been around for some time. And boy, is it powerful. Can we just talk about a little bit of a background first on how the favorite things phenomenon started and what your filter was for this year's favorite things? Okay. Back in 1996, when most of your listeners were not born or they were babies, (laughs) there was a little thing called the Oprah show. Everyone knows the Oprah show, so I I joke. But one day, Oprah was given a pair of pajamas, these Karen Neuberger pajamas. And she loved them so much, she's like, she gave them to all of her producers. And all the producers love these pajamas so much. And she said, why don't we just give them to the audience? So... They gave it out to the audience. The ladies all went crazy. And it was like 1996. No one's used to getting anything and all of that. And that, fine. But it sparked something. 
that the producers came together and one of the senior producers said, why don't we do a show with all of your favorite things? Like the things you love that you're so passionate about. You know, in those days also, the truth is, Oprah was out and about more. She was shopping herself. She was in Chicago. Her apartment was like above uh, Marshall Fields and you know, that whole area in Chicago. And she's in and out, she's seeing stuff and people, are, you know, she was Oprah, but she wasn't Oprah that we know now. So she had a list of a lot of stuff and they did this one show and they surprised audience members. And obviously it was very successful. So that is really the beginning of how the Favorite Thing show started. And it was always meant to happen sometime in the month of November. You never knew when. You could never be invited to that show. There was always sort of something special going on in the audience. Like she would maybe start the show and say, today our show theme is about meditation. And you'd see like the eyes in the audience and be like, oh boy, I've waited this many years to come to the Oprah show and we're going to talk about meditation. Where's Tom Cruise? Where's whoever, Jennifer <laughs> Allen? And it was, you know, because her show was pop culture, a mix of everything. And then she'd surprise them somehow and like go, kidding, it's that time of year. It's favorite things. And she'd do the whole voice and the whole set turned magical. And you'd see the audience literally go, go crazy. crazy. Then SNL did a whole skit on it where people's <laughs> heads were popping off and turkeys <laughs> were flying everywhere. But that is sort of the phenomena of the Oprah show that had many eyes on it. We know that national TV, there were millions and millions and millions of people doing it. I'll cut forward to the launch of the magazine 20 years ago, our December issue, and because we work on different timetables and television does, we're on a three or four month lead time, we did our own gift guide, which was under the moniker of the O-List, because every month in our magazine, we have something called the O-List, which are Oprah's personal picks of her favorite thing. So it's a mini version of favorite things, but in another kind of way. So we did a gift guide, fine, all that, always fabulous, always sold and all of that. But when the show went off the air permanently, we took over the name Favorite Things, inherited the entire process. We do a giveaway. We have partnered with Amazon. It helps amplify the message to millions and millions of people around the world. And so now Favorite Things has been living here for over 10 years in itself. So it's just a sort of a hybrid, but still such a big thing. But I think the thing that's the most interesting is that it is the must-have holiday gift guide. It kicks off the holiday selling season. And even our friends at Amazon tell us that too. Like the day we launch, suddenly everyone's ready to start shopping, not just from our list, but they're ready to start Christmas shopping. You flick on the light, so you to speak. Flick on the light, yes. I love that. Well, the thing that I think is very cool about the evolution of Oprah's favorite things, because it was such a phenomenon, that show. I mean, I know because my brand was on it. And I mean, that's really early in our early years where we first uh, rubbed elbows. And it made brands. And it also sometimes had the uh, ability to break a brand because like their websites would crash and they couldn't ship all the products. And I I was talking about that with Oprah the other day, in fact, because their websites would crash, which sounds normal today, but it's kind of like an old fashioned term already, like because technology has changed. But literally some of the biggest websites like The Gap, their website crashed. Who in their right mind would think The Gap's website would crash? 
totally. That, you know, and then some people didn't even really even have websites. I know. At the beginning of that. Now it's a whole nother kind of thing. But yeah. It's totally. And now what's happened is like you mentioned, you know, Oprah has obviously evolved and, and grown as a person and she's not out and about as much as she used to. But what she, started with the things that she really used and loved or was impressed by in her everyday life has kind of turned into a spotlight, you know, on on ideas that people have or businesses that people have that can be admired or need to be looked at. And so now it's like, it's so big and it's out there, but it's like a spotlight focus. It's like a big spotlight that like focuses down on brands. And I love that about it. I love that too. It was never the initial intention. It was really just stuff that over love, but it turned into this. And, and I use these examples. Your company is a great example, but also like Ugg, Tory Burch, Spanx. They are household names today, but when Oprah first put the light on them, they were small businesses. That's right. Truly small businesses. Sure, maybe some people knew what an Ugg was, but now Oprah is wearing Uggs. It exploded. Tory Burch was brand new. Truly, yes. Tory had one little store in Nolita, and that was it. Then suddenly now, every woman across the country knew who she was and wanted those sweaters and wanted those tunics. And the same with Spanx. So, and there's a numerous one. So we started thinking like, oh, it does have the possibility to make a brand, but the brand also has to have the ability to keep it going. That's right. The ability to fulfill. Because uh, like I say to my team here, and I say it to vendors, quite frankly, I go, it's lovely that you're having this, but you have to think of it really as the icing on the cake or the cherry on top of the Sunday for your fourth quarter, not the thing that's going to make you forever and you're going to walk away a millionaire. This is just on top of whatever your business is already, and especially this year, everyone's businesses is sort of in the toilet, so it's really helpful, but you can't just count on this and think this is going to be your last hurrah. You just think of it as like, oh, it's a lovely addition to what I do. Yeah, it's incremental income to the bottom line. And then you have a mailing list, so to speak, or the power of people to then do the hard work and keep propelling the brand forward. I remember when my brand was on, I was on the last favorite show that aired on the Oprah Winfrey show. We were the last one. And when I got chosen, I called previous winners, I call them, you know what I mean? That got chosen. And it was like a game show, I swear. And I got advice from them because at that point, like servers aren't like they are today. And I had to buy like six servers to handle it. And, you know, you could have a hundred thousand dollar day on your website, you know, with Oprah's favorite things show, but that doesn't happen the next day. Yeah. There's a little bit of reverb, but you're right. You've got to build the business. You know, the halo effect is what I think is really one of the more intriguing things about it. Sure, you got your $100,000 day or your million dollar day, whatever it is, the halo effect. It's like retailers are watching that too. So suddenly now your phone is ringing from people that have never carried you before. So it, it is a wonderful, wonderful marketing tool for brands. That's how I look at it. Probably a pinnacle of a marketing tool. But, you know, it's, but authenticity counts. And Oprah Winfrey herself to this day still vets each and every item. And you have that job of, you know, being the kind of the filter for her. I mean, you've worked with Gail, obviously, is flanking her for this all the time. That's how it's been. And you've had, you've over the years had the pleasure of getting to really know these women. And so now you really are the filter that's bringing them product that you 
know that they're going to like because you don't want to make your job harder for yourself. You're like, no, we're not really into that. Can you tell us how this small island you've created, you know, really functions? Well, first of all, I am um, by heart a hunter and a gatherer and a know-it-all. So I like to know everything and find everything and all of that. So that is just my sort of thing to begin with. But I, everything is through the prism of what Oprah likes and what Oprah would give and what Oprah thinks will bring pleasure and joy to other people. And we always joke, we're very realistic. It's called O Magazine, not A Magazine or G Magazine for Gail. So I may like it. And many times she agrees, but there are times she doesn't. And I realize I can't fight it. She, it's her stamp. It's her seal of approval, so to speak. And it has to really be something she would give to someone or know someone would want. So I have a, uh, I call it a, a small army of people. And it's so small that I can count them on one hand. It's a deep, tiny little army of a team of people that we're out and about and we're really looking. And we are sending things to Oprah. In normal times here in the office, we are doing it all together. This year, a little, little more unusual. She's sending stuff to me. I'm also dealing with her office going, what gifts has she gotten that she might like? You know, like I have yeah. to move it around because Oprah has a lot of things on her plate and I'm working on this list. We start really in full, full force in March, March before Christmas. So in March, she doesn't want to talk to me about favorite things, quite frankly. Right. And I don't blame her. But I got to start looking for stuff. And we also work with vendors to make exclusive products and all of that. So it's quite a process. I know that. I mean, I know the process. And so I wanted to share it with people. I mean, I happen to know when this year's favorite thing started because you and I were in discussion on it in March. And Well, this year is very interesting because, and I'll, and I'll, I'll cut to that, actually. You know, we went into lockdown or isolation, whatever you want to call it in the middle of March. And we all kind of thought, oh, we'll be back in our office, you know, in a few weeks. Then we got into like April, we realized, okay, maybe Memorial Day. At that point, we, we really had to start on this, which we were. So all of this stuff get started going to all of my editor's homes. We just broke it up. So we thought, okay, you'll try this, you'll try that, you'll look at that. We had Zoom meetings all the time looking at stuff. Then came this point where we realized, okay, we're not gonna be back in the office so quickly send all this shit. Oh, sorry. I probably can't curse on this podcast. Um, it's my podcast. You most certainly can. <laughs> to my house and my garage and my basement became what we call our style closet. So that's where we started vetting. And then I, we did regular meetings with Oprah um, on Zoom and, and FaceTime and all of that, looking at stuff and I would send her stuff. But what we did decide to do is we wanted to really celebrate Black lives in any way that we can, because people were really asking, not just us, but people out there were asking, what can we do? And so highlighting stuff from Black-owned businesses that deserve to be celebrated became our mission for this current favorite things list. Three quarters of the list is actually small Black-owned businesses. I love that. And we were talking because we both know different people and like, we're looking for things and, and all of that. It's been incredible, I have to say. But when you deal with any small business to begin with, doesn't matter who they are, and, and we love small businesses, you know, there's levels of small businesses. There are small businesses that have been around for 10 years, five years, 
but they remain small for whatever reason. Then there are small businesses that are literally started like a year ago in a right. mom and pop small business, and they're making their sauces in their kitchen, so to speak, mm-hmm. and don't yet have the whatever, or they're shipping from their garage, their own garage, and don't yet have a warehouse. So we're working and have worked with a combination of all of that this time. And we handhold every step of the way because it's really, really, really important because I feel like people's livelihoods are our responsibility, at least during this time period. A hundred percent. I'm really glad you brought that up because as an entrepreneur and a business owner and someone who started, you know, quite a few businesses from the ground up, sometimes it's too soon. And people don't know that. And it sounds like, so the people that may have been, you know, didn't make the list, but had put their products in might feel very upset or depressed that they didn't make the list. But the the reason why is because you're doing it to help them, not to hurt them. And, and, you know, maybe they're just not ready for the list. Is that fair to say? Amen. I have this conversation with the vendors, Oprah, and I discuss it all the time. She goes, they're not ready. I'm telling you, they're not ready. I go, okay, I agree. But I have a feeling if we work enough with them, it could be ready. So we, we have a little bit of a back and forth on that. But yes, not everyone is ready. Yeah. They always say, I didn't realize I would sell that many that quickly. We launched this list on November 6th. Yes. And we did it softly because of the way the election and, and the political system was. So we did it much quieter than we normally do. But there were people who sold out in the first day. I mean, I'm sure of it. Then they're scrambling for inventory. And this year in particular, you know, the supply chains were decimated too. So it's not even like, I can't get angry at them. If they can't get their stuff from whoever they have to get their stuff, whether it's a box or bubble wrap, it's hard to do. I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited it's fall. Summer to fall always feels like a time for turning over, you know, new beginnings, an opportunity to reset for the seasons ahead. It's the best time for a seasonal detox and cleanse. Plus, it's super fun to reset and equalize my skin. To get my mind and body right, I've been focusing on exercise and nutrition. To get my skin right, I'm masking. I'm using the most amazing products I want to share with you. They're called Emergency. That's E-M-E-R-G-I-N-C. Emergency products, they're all natural. Only the best nature has to offer. And the mask I'm using, it's called the Red Berry Dual Gommage Mask. Yes, it is as good as it sounds. So for the change of season, I'm detoxifying, balancing, hydrating, and protecting my skin with organic, delicious products that are easy to use and they make such a difference. Again, it's called Emergency. Emergency products are all natural, totally natural, and absolutely efficacious. That means they're effective, folks. Science and nature really meet with medical-grade ingredients, active botanicals, and marine extracts that generally nourish your skin and answer its ever-changing needs. I don't know about you, but my skin seems to change all the time. I'm using raw suticles. That range is incredible. It's all cold press chemistry. So make sure you check out raw suticles. The range is amazing. They have a face cloth that rinses 99.999% bacteria free every time. I never worry about my kids' hands on the washcloths. 
Use my promo code. It's in my heart 20 for 20% off your purchases and see the difference for yourself. You can illuminate your skin naturally. Luminate, balance, clear, bright, and refresh, soothe, calm. That's what I'm all about. Check it out for yourself. Emergency.com. It has you covered. Well, I got to dig right in. Can we start to talk about some of the things that made this amazing, incredible, long, long journey of a list? <laughs> For sure. And I sent you some of them. Yes. Two of the things that I got that are the most, I can't even throw out the packaging, is I got sea salt. Oh my God, with the gold spoon. So they're literally Himalayan sea salts that you can use on your table to serve with. You could obviously use them to cook with. But it's so beautifully packaged. That and I got this sriracha, like beautiful, the ranch and the sriracha. The truffle sriracha. The truffle sriracha. I mean, beautiful. Oprah loves truffles, number one. So we're always looking for new stuff. And Trufflin is the name of the company. They do sriracha with black truffle and a ranch with black truffle. It is this man, Cornelius, and his wife, her family, they were in the, they're, they're in the French truffle business, and he was in the Atlanta food scene. They're married, and they started this company. So the stories behind the, you know, the process. Yes, that's what I want to get into, because you know me as an entrepreneur, people make a business, people make the brand, it's the people that come up with the ideas, and ideation is one thing, but then bring it to market and telling your story is another. I mean, there was another, also the girl from 241 Cosmetics, they wrote me the most beautiful note and they explained what a 241 girl is and why I'm her. And I loved that. I mean, I love brands that really put a personal touch on it, that to go that extra mile. But not only, they are twins. They're beautiful too, by the way. Literally, shout out to Seven and Helena. Yes, girls, I love you. They grew up in a refugee camp in East Africa. They came to the United States in the 80s. They're young, and they are obsessed with makeup. And what they learned is their mother, a hardworking lady, every day that she left her house to go to work, to support the family, she would put on lipstick or lip gloss. And that always stood with them because that really meant, like, I'm ready for the world, and I'm ready to present myself. And that's how they started their business. And they're amazing. And they came up with this lip gloss set. I mean, they make makeup. It's gorgeous. I have it on. They did it exclusively for us, this set, because Oprah selected the colors. And they're going to be very big and very successful. I love them. And their makeup, their thing is, is that, you know, we want makeup you wear, not makeup that wears you. And, you know, thinking, oh, so obviously I'm pale in skin tone compared to Oprah, but the colors all work for me. Exactly. We're going to jump around a little bit. We talked about 241 Cosmetics, amazing. But I want to first talk about these dog sweatshirts, the house doggy, the DOG hoodie. I mean, I'm just, I have it here and unfortunately your listeners can't see them, but they are for your dogs with three different sayings that are very Oprah-like. They say love, they say bless, they say grateful, as most dogs are grateful. Oh, I love that one. That one is really good. They come in like sweatshirt colors, white, gray, and black. Now, this is a great story. Her name is Angela Medlin. She's from Portland, Oregon. She was originally a designer at Nike. Yeah. So she has a fashion background. I met her at a trade show a few years ago, and she was in a teeny tiny sort of maker's area. She didn't even have her own booth. And she had one dog bone that was made of leather and was super chic. And I always remembered her. And eventually we put her dog bone in the magazine. And then she 
started these hoodies right before fall and we love them so much. I showed them to Oprah and she goes, yes. I mean, barely before I could even explain her story of sustainability, before I could even say she's in Portland, that she had a like, kind of dog, the whole thing. She's like, yep, love them, love the words, the whole thing. Now, one of the other companies that I really loved, and this was something that I did, was Fresh Dolls. And this is a doll company that features dolls of all skin tones to, you know, really create authentic representations of our world. I always bought my daughter white, black, brown, and Barbies and dolls they, because I wanted her playtime to reflect real life. It's incredible. You know, Oprah grew up at a time when there were no dolls that looked like her. A lot of women of that generation, you know, it's only in the recent-ish times. I mean, I remember growing up, there was finally a black Barbie. And I think referred to as black Barbie. There was just one. And that was it. I didn't even think it was a black hen, come to think of it. I don't know. I, would... I don't think there was either, but I definitely know that Fresh Dolls is a great reflection for black children to own. And I love, love that. And brown. They're the only line of diverse men's dolls too. So they're great. I love that. You know, this, this leads me to just, I want to talk about the word um, BIPOC for a second, because it's not just black and brown. It's really much more inclusive than that, the list. And, you know, it's a new term. I don't think that people really know that much about. And a few, I even had a, someone says, it doesn't stand for bisexual people of color. I'm like, well, they're included too. They could be included. But really, it's, a, it's supposed to be an inclusive term that is inclusive of voices that have not originally been heard. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say, for sure. But it's just something I think people need to learn about. I mean, even now we're coming upon Thanksgiving and indigenous people. And are we really still calling it Thanksgiving? And we've been sensitive to it in the magazine. And how does one go about doing Thanksgiving this year? But if you really have to think about the meaning of Thanksgiving originally, you start putting more thought into your actions. That's right. And BIPOC, just so everybody knows, it stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. Yeah. I know that some people, it's, it's another, for some people, it's another label. But for, for me, it's just another way of inclusion well, so speaking about, you know, bisexual people of color, we also have some, a designer who designs for the LGBTQ community specifically. You must know the Telfar. I do. I couldn't, I was so happy to see it on. Gorgeous. I love these bags. I love Telfar. You know, yes. he started at a very young age, at 19, in 2005. And his whole thing was unisex clothing for anyone, no matter what your budget or your gender is. In 2005, no one spoke like that. Quite frankly, no one got what that meant. But he's been around since 2005. So bravo and shout out to Telfar. But in, in 2014, he started this vegan um, tote. It's very luxurious looking with his signature T on it. For those that are listening, look it up, Telfar. T-E-L-F-A-R. Exactly. And it really is a symbol of sort of group identity for young creative people, especially people of color and queer people. AOC has been wearing these bags. Solange has been wearing these bags. Bella Hadid, now Oprah. But the thing that's most intriguing is that he does special drops. Now, you know what a special drop is. Like, they just kind of secretly say, like, today or tomorrow, a few bags will be available, and you have to, like, hurry up and get it, and then they sell out. That's their business model. So I thought, well... It doesn't hurt to ask, do they want to participate in this? Amazon, which is so not the drop model. Right. <laughs> and they were really into it. 
And Oprah surprised Telfar. We did it like a Zoom surprise. I did. Gail and I were on Zoom with him just to have chitty chat, like this kind of conversation that we're doing. And then she zapped in, which was so great. And I was so happy for him. I'm happy for him. He was shocked to see her. He was shocked to see that Oprah was holding. Holding the bag. Saying what she loved about it. And even though it is a popular bag in sort of, the cool girl scene, so to speak. And it's, it's affectionately known as the Birkin of Bushwick. But it was amazing. This is going to help grow his brand and it will just be fabulous marketing for him. Well, I loved seeing him. I mean, he's been a fringe kind of out of the fray designer and, you know, now I, I, just people in fashion or people, you know, really know about him. And I, I think everybody deserves to uh, know about him. So I love seeing him on the list. Now, let's talk about the uncle nearest whiskey. So I love a good a glass of whiskey. So you know I'm a beer girl. I know you're a beer girl. Yeah, but I love me a good glass of whiskey. And let me tell you, this is some of the finest whiskey I have ever, ever consumed. And I know that for a fact because I didn't realize even how much I drank. I, it, was the, <laughs> it was the next morning and I, I went to bed and I felt great. You know what I mean? I, and I woke up feeling really great, but I was a little bit hungover. I'm like, I feel like a little bit hungover. And I went over to look at the bottle. I drank half the bottle. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. I've, I'm like that with tequila, quite frankly. So I get Oh, it was smooth as ever. But the story of this distiller. This is the thing that's the most incredible. The story behind Uncle Nearest, truthfully. And it is created by a woman named Fawn Weaver. And Fawn is the first female and the first person of color to run a major whiskey or a spirit brand. And let's, this is how she got to it. She was a writer and she learned about a slave who taught Jack Daniel how to make whiskey. He really was like sort of the godfather of Tennessee whiskey. And this man's name was Nearest Green. And she was learning about this guy. And she found it so interesting that she wrote these articles about him. And she really brought his history to light. And then she decided to start a whiskey company herself and name it after him. I love this story. It makes me not ever want to buy anything but his whiskey. I fake and I start to cry when I hear this story. It's just extraordinary. And also really the fact that she's the first person of color to run any kind of major whiskey or spirit brand. And she's a woman. And here we are. It took off. And not only did it take off, but it's really fine whiskey. It's beautiful. It was so smooth and delicious. And what I love about it is Nearest Green finally got his accolades. He finally got his own brand with his name on it. And I know he's not here anymore, but no one, people are not dead until you stop saying their name. So Nearest Green, we're, we're applauding you. And really, I am applauding her for bringing that together. Way to go, Fawn, my love. Go, Fawn. I love it. I love it. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was the fact that I had peach cobbler pie for breakfast this morning. Thank you very much. <laughs> I hope you heated it up. I did heat it up. They These butter pies were, I mean, they're so beautiful. I love the story. Also the chocolate from Harlem. I mean, I, I gained five pounds. Can we talk about that one? It's a company called Harlem Chocolate Factory based in Harlem. There's a retail store there. This young woman, she's been obsessed with chocolate since she was nine. Her mother would take her to all these different chocolate shows. 
and she didn't get into chocolate originally. She became a graphic designer and all that. And then she wanted to really study chocolate making. And she opened a store in Harlem and she created the most gorgeous chocolate bars. I love them. I couldn't believe when I opened them. They actually have an imprint on them of a brownstone in Harlem. They're amazing. Her name is Jessica Spaulding. And the other thing that I loved about this story is that she started researching the chocolate industry and there were really only two other African-American owned chocolate companies in the United States. Think about that. Only two. She decided that more African-American perspective was missing. And so she wants to help shed light on it. The more we see of a culture, the more we understand it. Hello. Truly. Hello. Well, I mean, I hope I haven't missed anything, but I feel, I mean, I just love the list this year. Lush Yummy, though? This is what I got to tell you. Tell me. Jennifer, who, the creator of Lush Yummy, she uh, was a school teacher first. So this is her second act. I love a second act. She was doing uh, Teach for America, and she was making costumes and helping the cheerleading uh, coaches in Atlanta, making costumes. She had to raise money for it, so she started baking. And then she realized, I love to bake. She moved back to Detroit and started using her grandfather's recipes. And she has a lemon butter pie, B-U-T-A, that's how she spells it, that she first sent us that we featured in the magazine last year. So we asked her, what else are you making? She made this peach cobbler and it made it. And it's just like the story. Like, I mean, the fact that she's honoring her grandfather from 1940, his recipes from the 1940s, and she still sells at the Eastern Market in Detroit, and she's selling nationwide. And I've gone on her Instagram, and you should see the amount of people she has packing boxes and making the pies and shipping them out. She's amazing. I love her, and I love it. So it's called Lush Yummies Pie Company, and it's the home of the lemon butter pie, B-U-T-T-A. Really delicious, delicious stuff. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Adam, I've never asked you this, so with all of these products that you see, and Oprah's been doing this for so long now, is there ever an evolution of a product where, you know, she, she used to do private label stuff or have someone make something, but like, has anything ever come out of the list? Like a product got developed through the list or anything like that? There have been, you know, uh, actually the Foot Nanny foot cream products really started, uh, Gloria Williams is Oprah's manicurist, but what she was is that, at Harpo Studios in Chicago, Oprah had a spa at the studio for all of the uh, producers. And Gloria did everyone's nails and, and feet. And then Gloria decided to move to L.A. when they closed down the studios. And Oprah said, that cream you use and your story of your grandmother and your mother and the passing down and massaging and touching, you should do something with it. So Gloria came up with the foot cream. And that was sort of the beginning of it. Dell Finance, by the way, I'm, I don't want people in their mind thinking, oh, Oprah Finance, or not at all. Gloria did it by herself. And this foot cream sells time and time and time. I didn't realize that everyone in the world needed that much foot cream. But, they, <laughs> but this yeah. is a product that really came out of favorite things. See, I love that. I knew there had to be something. Now, obviously, you know, Oprah, by the way, I do want to just say this. Oprah Winfrey, I, I mentioned this before. She vets each and every item. And there are zero, no money exchanges for anybody being included in this ever. So get that out of your mind. And thank you for bringing that up, actually, because it's such a new concept right now that people actually 
make money off of products. I mean, it's the reality of how a lot of the world works right now with influencers, but Oprah really is the original influencer. That's right. The real name of influence. She just likes it and she tells people and that's it. She doesn't make a cent from her book club. She's never made a cent from favorite things. And now other kinds of people and stuff do these things, but they get paid to promote it. That's not our intention whatsoever. At all. And in fact, you know, evolving products, you know, I I do know about this product that she involved with a few of the girls from her school. Many of us know that Oprah has, you know, spent a lot of time and energy and doing her philanthropic, you know, ventures in Africa and the school that she has built for girls. And there was something about she wanted to wrap her hair, right? And a company made, can you, a head wrap for her, right? Yes. Well, during a COVID, A lot of people made challah. A lot of people made banana bread. Oprah learned to tie a head wrap. And people are like, what the hell is a head wrap? She was basically a scarf that you wrap in your hair, and it looks very beautiful. And you got to tie it right. There is an art to tying it. And a few of her girls, as she calls them, daughters, uh, that are now young women that have graduated college, have been quarantining with Oprah. And they've taught her how to do it because these are young uh, women who grew up in South Africa, and they know how to do it. So she challenged us and said, can you find me some good head wraps? Sure. We went out and we found this gal. Uh, her company is called The Wrap Life, and she makes great head wraps. I love the name. Yes. And she also, then the, the thing that I also liked and Oprah loved about this company is that not only does she do head wraps that look like scarves and you can just wear them as a regular scarf, She also does turbinettes and headbands. So anyone, you can do this. This is not a cultural thing. This is not a cultural appropriation thing. This is just like a great hair accessory. I need that. I'm going to look those up. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about that came out of um, the last time we spoke was COVID. And I just wanted the story kind of of the evolution and the process of capturing these cover photos during COVID and quarantine, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, everything has changed and you're still putting out this magazine. And I was thinking when you were doing the list and the cover photo, how the hell did you do it? This is how I did it. I'll, I'll, I'll let everyone in. And I don't think I've told anyone about this. Pub. No, I have to know because I know it's got to be a story. Well, cover shoots for us. Normally we do like two or three at a time so that every month Oprah does not have to be uh, sitting for a cover shoot because after 20 years, it's a little bit of like a pain in the push. So last December, I went out to Santa Barbara, where she lives, and we were planning on two days of shooting a bunch of covers because she was getting ready to do her WW tour. So she really was going to be out of commission until the beginning of March. So I knew I needed to get X amount of covers. So we did our shoot and all of that and different scenarios and, you know, spring clothes, fall looking clothes, not necessarily winter clothes, but like we did enough evergreen so we could mix and match depending on when we needed it. COVID hits and Oprah quarantined. We quarantined. She doesn't really want to see anyone in person. She won't come for a photo shoot. Doesn't make sense. But we had literally a stockpile of pictures. So I literally had to go through and say, okay, this will work for this month. This will work for that month. Even our November issue, the outdoor table setting for Thanksgiving, people think we set up. It wasn't intended for that. We were intending that for another issue, but it worked perfectly for that cut to 
what are we going to do for December? And because that usually is our big bang cover. Everyone wants to see what she's wearing or how glamorous the gifts are and all that kind of stuff. And I had, uh, we did a picture of her and I'm showing this to you right now. And it's oh, yeah. adorable. VW bug. Bug. She's yeah. sitting inside a VW bug with luggage on the top. With luggage on top, which I thought, this is a good for a fall cover, going on a road trip, a weekend trip, all this stuff. And then I said, what are we going to do? And I remembered I had this picture, literally. So I said to her, do you remember that picture? She goes, yeah, I love it. I love it. I said, I'm going to go and rent a bug somewhere, wrap yeah. all these gifts, and piece it together. Cut to... Oh my God, it's so amazing. The truth is, it is Oprah in the actual car. It's just that we took the luggage off and we added all these beautiful gifts and stuff on top and pieced it together. But, you know, it's a little sort of magic. But what we did learn during COVID and continue to do so, yeah, you can do photo shoots remotely. It's sad we're not in person, I get it. But we have all figured out how to do this. Yeah, it's absolutely new learnings and new ways of doing things and new ways of keeping everything moving forward. And you have to adapt. And you did a really good job adapting, Adam Glassman. That's a great cover. It worked out really perfectly. It really did. I love it. I love it. So what happens now for the magazine? Like now that we're living in this new normal, you know what I mean? What's next for you guys? What have you guys been thinking about for the future? Uh, actually, it's very exciting. What we have decided to do is that we're going to take down the amount of print magazines to four a year. Do four very special editions of the printed magazine. Wow. Going to rebuild, energize, and excite our Oprah Mag website in a big way. We have it now, and it's a fabulous uh, website. But we need to meet women where they are today. And that's an Oprah quote. We need to address uh, situations and, and the world in a more timely manner that you're really not able to do in a monthly printed magazine because of the lead time. So we were able to do it in September with Brianna Taylor. We kind of stopped the presses and made that cover so iconic. Yes. But that it's very hard to do on a normal print schedule. So we're updating the website. It's probably overhauling the website and really thinking about it in new and exciting ways. Well, I love that because, I mean, as much as I, I show my age and I love to feel the paper in my hands, and I always was one of those that was, I mean, the, the kind of the holdout, if you will. It's really where I'm spending my time to now. We're bringing the best of O, oh, the brand, the magazine, and everything that we do together under one important digital platform. Well, and I know it's going to be awesome. I'm, I can't wait to log on and see it because I know it's going to be a piece of work. I know that for a fact. Well, if Jesse has been very, my dog has been very excited on this interview. I don't know if you've heard him. He's not a barker. He has not shut up this whole time. I'm so sorry, everybody. But this is life at home, work at home. Speaking of which, for Jesse, if you like the house dog, uh, I can send it to you. But if you, you want must. to go on her own website, you can personalize and customize Jesse's name on it. Oh, I love that. So I love when we're together and I love talking through all this stuff with you. You're so good at what you do. You're so passionate about what you do. And I so appreciate all the hard work that you do and that goes into filtering Oprah's favorite things for us because 
I go every year. It's a joy for all of us to go look at it. I know I'm speaking for a lot of my listeners. It was a joy to see it on the Oprah TV show and feel all the excitement that she brought. And so thank you for keeping it alive and making it fantastic. Oh, thank you. And everyone could go to OprahMag.com to find the list. And then, you know, Adam, a lot of people know where to find you, but just in case, where can my guests find you if they don't already follow you? Yes, at, at The Real Adam Says. That's right, at The Real Adam Says. Well, thank you so much to my guest and dear friend, Adam Glassman. This is In My Heart. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to follow along at I Am Heather T and send me any questions. Don't forget to subscribe and download wherever you stream your podcast and join us next week for another episode. Welcome to Hollaback. This is the part of my podcast where I answer all of your questions. My next question is from at Sam.Kala. And Sam asks, did you have any teachers or professors that had a lasting impact on you? Wow, I love this question because my story is not an obvious one. So I had a professor in college who really stood out for me more than I think he will ever know. And I really like this professor a lot. And he had a little bit of an edge to him. And I think part of me, like, you know, wanted to capture him and, and get him to notice me maybe that, you know, uh, he was so cerebral and I could have these great discussions. And, and ultimately I, I thought that's what happened, but, um, I decided to go to grad school after I graduated. And of course I asked some of my professors for letters of recommendation and, I ultimately never did apply to grad school. That was a whole plethora of reasons why I didn't. But after three about years went by, I opened all of my recommendation letters that I had had, you know, in the sealed envelope and I read them all and it was, um, it was amazing to read them all. But let me tell you, the one letter that wasn't so amazing to read was from this professor that I had you know, taken a, a liking to and um, was trying to prove myself to all the time. And, you know, that son of a bitch wrote a letter against me going to grad school, why he thought I wouldn't be a good grad student. And I'll never forget how the way that made me feel. I thought like, you did that behind my back. Why don't, why don't you just say, no, I'm sorry. I can't write you a letter of recommendation. And this is why, I mean, isn't that really serving the cause more? Well, that would be how I would handle it. So that was really the most impactful professor I've ever had in my life. It wasn't a good story. I had many great teachers, but this guy put a flame under my proverbial bottom. And I never looked back to prove that I was grad school worthy and I was life worthy and I was enough. And I had a lot of fight in me and I was going to go out and, and, and prove to him who I was and what I was made of. And I think I did that. So to you, (laughs) thank you for that great question. My next question is from at Bravo Afterthoughts. And the question is, would you ever do your own spinoff show on Bravo? And the answer is yes, of course I would. A hundred percent. Andy and I actually had a pitch out there for a while of a show that we still think is a great idea. So I would a hundred percent do, do a spinoff. Thank you so much for asking. Love you all and keep those questions coming.